Welcome back to the Mom Mentality Show. My name is Austin Chadwick and co-host is Chris Lucian. And today we're definitely really excited to have Mike Roberts on the show. Uh, we got some great topics lined up with mob programming in early career development and learning how to learn together. And we'll hear more about his awesome organization he's been involved in. And so, uh, yeah, before we jump to those topics, Mike, do you mind introducing yourself? No, I do not mind at all. And thanks again for having me. Uh, Mike Roberts, I am the founder of Creating Coding Careers. I am a software engineer by trade, been writing software for a little over three decades. And um, I like to ride my bike a lot, so I'm an ultra distance cyclist. Um, but yeah, I'm super excited to be here and talk a little bit about um, the work that I do. Awesome, awesome. Yeah, so uh, your first topic you have listed is mob programming. So maybe how did you find out about this world of mob programming? What was your introduction into it? <laughs> That's a great question. So I previously worked at another immersive coding bootcamp before I started my own program. And at that program, there was just a small little mention of mob programming. And I was like, what is, what is this? And so they did a really good job of preparing their students for maybe different environments. And so I took that small explanation and a video that they usually played to the students about like a day in the life of mob programming. It's kind of like fast forwarding. You can see people kind of moving around. I think we all know what that video is from. And uh, that was the gist of my initial experience with it. Um, but then I later, you know, reached out and I met Woody Zool and we started sort of experimenting with it in the classroom. And that brings us to today. So I think I've known about it now for maybe five years and I think it's phenomenal. So I'm excited to talk about it. Cool. Cool. Yeah. So with your previous gig and what you're currently doing, it was both involved with early career development uh, yeah. and mob programming. So tell us about that. Sure. So one of the reasons why I like it and we've adopted it um, and feel so strong that it's a great part of the classroom experience is that often for early career developers and anybody that's been a software engineer that's kind of like gone down this pathway could probably attest it's really hard early on and a lot of the learning process is just kind of frustrating and, and brutal and even when you are taking classes and courses sometimes it can feel like you're not learning if that makes sense to the folks but Mob programming is a scenario where we have lots of students giving us feedback that not only does it feel like they're learning, but they are actually learning. And so it's a great example of how just that mindset and mentality can like open people up to just being like more comfortable, more confident, and it's just easier for them to feel that sense of like, okay, I'm making progress. You don't always get that, in my opinion, um, when you're kind of working through it on your own. And I think just all of the attributes that lend itself to like making people feel more comfortable learning. That's awesome. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I guess we can talk a little bit about uh, what might be the structure for somebody that might come into um, to that environment. How, how do they get introduced to mobbing, that sort of thing? Yeah, so we intentionally, because we just know that it works and we know it's good for folks, try and get them into it like right away in the earlier parts of any curriculum or programs that I'm part of, uh, because I feel like the best way is to kind of experience it. And so even though they may be super early on, they, there's not much that they may be able to write on their own. And um, it, we've for a long time done a lot of cohorts that are sort of staggered or overlapping or better way to think about is rolling cohorts where 
at any given time, about a third of the classroom has been in the program about to graduate. And then another third of them are kind of in the middle and then 20% are like brand new. And having that mix all sitting around the keyboard, all working at once kind of helps people to see that like there's a little bit of a spectrum and that everybody isn't all kind of like lost all at the same time, right? In like no direction. That was another thing that we had to kind of modify in how we run mobs. And that is that we literally have a floater, like an instructor, someone that kind of goes around and bounces between two or three groups maybe to help them sort of like just keep keep going, keep trying, facilitate sort of the process of learning to mob program. I wouldn't say it's as structured as like a like a kata or like a, a mob dojo um, activity, but we try and be very purposeful with how we expose them to like their first session. So as an example, we might give them like a kind of like a magic afternoon, right? Where they're given a project with maybe a beginner level. And then if you get done with that, then try and add these additional features. And if you get done with that, then try and really blow the doors off and church it up and do these other things, right? And so that lends itself really well to just like, hey, for the first hour or so, I want you to meet as a team and I want you to sit in your group and like brainstorm about how you're gonna implement whatever this little thing is we're gonna build together. And then let's come back together and like share what each team sort of thought about like how you should design this and then actually put them in front of machines mobbing together and trying to work through and taking some rotation on the keys just being that alexa for code right and so i think it, it adds a lot of like interesting structure to how we could do like a workshop like afternoon of coding versus a lot of the traditional way that people might have been taught you know, computer science, which is like the professor stands up there and lectures about like something like recursion. And then here's some exercises for you to do on your own. And then we'll come back together again. And it's just not as collaborative and interesting to the students, I feel, as like you're really getting a chance to work together. Yeah, yeah, I can definitely attest to that. I mean, I remember uh, a lot of uh, my previous uh, college computer science stuff and how dramatically, yeah, the lecture lab so it was like lecture time which could be like an hour right and then lab time was almost always solo unless it just happened serendipitously <laughs> that someone else was in the lab and you right. kind of like overhear each other oh you're maybe working on something similar to me or um yeah and i remember there being a lot more like uh almost fear of like am i going the wrong way and for a long time alone <laughs> like yeah. i'm wandering in the dark Am I going the wrong way for a long time? Yeah, and uh, so th that's fascinating. And, and I have more questions about actually how you guys uh, do your training and your mobbing and, and all sure. that kind of stuff. But, but to maybe set the context a little bit, can you tell us um, a little bit about where this is happening? So uh, for example, uh, creating coding careers, can you tell us a little bit about that organization sure. and you, you know maybe the goals and things like that? Yeah, yeah so, so we're a nonprofit organization that was sort of spun out and came evolved, I guess, out of a coding bootcamp. So I think a lot of people may be familiar with that, but if you're not, it's more of like an immersive opportunity for people over a short period of time to gain the basic skills they would need to apply for an entry-level role as a software engineer or developer. And so what I found was that a lot of people couldn't afford to like, you know, fly to San Francisco or Chicago where some of these programs are. Uh, for you know three months of their life and spend it you know, away from their family in most cases. A lot of the folks that we serve historically are also transitioning 
from a job outside of tech to wanting to be in tech and doing software engineering as maybe you know their second career, right? They've got a bachelor's degree in many cases, but it's not in like mathematics or computer science. It may be in some field that's like very unrelated. And so what I found before we founded uh, Creating Coding Careers was that there just wasn't a lot of accessibility and affordability for folks, right? Like that idea of being able to have this, like in three months, we're gonna turn you into software and developer. Like that's great. You have to be very privileged to be able to like go down that pathway. And so that also lent itself to continuing to see what I saw in the space. And I don't know if it's been your experience, but just not as many women, not as many people that look like me, black or Latino, in some cases, veterans or people that are neurodivergent. So uh, LGBTQ, just there's just a lot of cisgendered white males, cisgendered Asian males in the space um, in shops that I've been in in the past. And I thought, what are some of the barriers and how can we address some of those barriers? And that's really what our core mission is about. It's just like, let's help people that may have never considered a career in tech discover that these opportunities are available and then have a viable pathway to get what I know works, which is most employers when they're looking at an early career developer, it's not really not a lot about the technical skills. It, it is some component of it, but they're really trying to filter for like gritty people, problem solvers, people that have some foundational understanding of the technology, but it's not like language specific. It's not like you must know X, Y, or Z for you to be successful. And they also want to see like a short period of experience. They want to see like about a year of meaningful experience. And then suddenly they're much more appealing than someone that might just recently have graduated from a program or, you know, self-taught. So once I learned that in the last you know, five or six years, I learned like, oh, this is what employers are really looking for. Then it was just kind of marrying those two pieces. Like, how do we find candidates that are scrappy and are really love problem solving and have all the attributes where they can be successful software engineers if given an opportunity? And how do we create the runway and give them a chance to like, earn an income while they're doing this, which is the biggest barrier for most people to do something different. It's like, hey, I'm already working two part-time jobs and just trying to keep my head above water. Like inflation's crazy and rent's high and gas is high. Like I can't begin to think, how can I transition out of this career? So creating that opportunity, it was the other thing that like drove me to like make this a nonprofit and see if we can uh, leverage a pattern. So the last piece is leveraging the apprenticeship pattern and really thinking like, well, plumbers and electricians, they learn from a master craft person. Why can't we apply that same principle and get all the residual benefits of like the earn and learn model by just thinking differently about how we might give someone a training opportunity. So that's, that's the nexus of, of this. And I hope that we, we have a registered apprenticeship program in the United States and we have hired people, a lot of people outside of California. And so it's really about like, how do we develop this playbook so that we can give it to other communities and have other companies do the same thing, like just grow this, this pattern the same way I love evangelizing about mob programming. The two things I love talking about are apprenticeships in tech and mob programming. <laughs> yeah, that, that's awesome. Well, they definitely go really well together. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's like this uh, very natural, almost uh, classic um, apprenticeship thing that's been going on forever, you know, um, that can really happen really seamlessly with that. And uh, yeah, and um, yeah, so there are a bunch of things that jumped out to me about how, how you all help. So obviously, a little bit about how you do the training involves mobbing. Um, do you to, to make it more accessible? Is it just that it's, it's like done 
off hours or, or things like that? Um, if they're working multiple jobs, like how do you work with schedules and that kind of thing? Okay, so so because we're an apprenticeship program, what that means for a participant, so someone that comes into the program and is accepted, is that they have a job from the very beginning. So we pay them $20 per hour. And it's a like what I call in ear quotes, it's a real job, right? So it's <laughs> 40 hours a week, it's medical benefits, it's PTO, it's 10 vacation days a year or, or holidays per year that are, you know, you just, you have the day off, right? Unlike some of the jobs that make people had before, where it's just like, if you don't show up to work, you don't get paid, right? Okay. Or if you, um, you know, need some training or some classes to qualify for it, you've got to do all those things on your own before you can like get an opportunity to get your guard card or something and then, and be on off to the races. So it really is an experience that lends itself to removing one of the biggest barriers for folks, which is affordability, right? Mm. It's also important that we don't charge tuition and we don't use anything where they have to like pay us back later, right? So when I say it's free isn't free and we pay them, it's free isn't free and, mm. and we pay them from the very beginning. So they don't have to have any prior experience. Uh, we do have a pre-apprenticeship program now. So we use that as sort of like, in the past, they could come right into the apprenticeship program, but now they need to go through at least a pre-apprenticeship program. But that's really just intended to make sure they're ready for success in the apprenticeship program. Again, no cost of that either. Like everything's yeah. free. So, so what, what, uh, what I guess is, is entailed or what type of like time commitment is entailed for the pre-apprenticeship program? So for a pre-apprenticeship program, they can complete it really quickly. So it's really, it's designed to make sure that they have the basic skills. So I'll give you an example to be successful in, and I believe any modern workplace, you need to understand how to use uh, some pretty common tools like email. Mm. And like, if you can't send an email, then we can't bring you into the apprenticeship program because we need to have some of those like core skills taken care of before we bring you in. They also need to be able to type at like a minimum speed. It's okay to hunt and peck a little bit, but like, <laughs> We found that if you can't type at a minimum speed, then it really becomes like a gating mechanism for like you to be successful in the early parts of like learning how to code. Because you got to find all those special characters in the keyboard. So if it's hard for you to find the regular letters, it's going to be even harder for you to find those like little curly boys and, and <laughs> wiggles and all that good stuff, right? So, but but it, it is entirely possible that someone could rip through the requirements we have in our pre-apprenticeship program and be done in like the course of a week. It's more traditional that someone might need two or three months, but yeah. we're just starting it. So we don't have that much of a track record. It's been an, it's a new mechanism we put into place to make sure people are more prepared for the apprenticeship opportunity. Yeah. Yeah. Just, just mechanics and, and uh, yeah. maybe wrote uh, practice on certain skills. Yeah. That, that makes it's not a super high bar, yeah. but again, there, there are folks that I think could be really good in this space. They just have not gotten an opportunity to like have someone walk them through like this is how email works, right? Yeah, this is not part of their, it, it was never, and, and it's hard for some people to believe that, but like there are people that like don't have driver's licenses because they don't drive, they've never driven, right? And so I think coming from a place where we, I don't assume people have certain privileges, I want to make sure we're providing them that like level playing field that sometimes needed to break into a field where there's like lots of things that other folks just haven't had access to. So they're kind of at a slight disadvantage. Yeah, yeah that makes sense. Um, so uh, they do the pre-apprenticeship, they get approved, they you know start day one, they start mobbing. Uh, 
and and gradually over the course uh you said it's kind of about a year of of that mobbing like what what types of things are they mobbing on are they mobbing on like client projects are they mobbing on internal exercises like how, how does that work great question so um it's kind of progressive so we don't have so our curriculum the core curriculum in the apprenticeship program is very competency based and project mastery based right so they'll be doing lots of project work and so they can we don't force anybody to mob but they can as they're working through their projects mob together to get through their projects just super helpful um, we have other structured activities that are closer to like pair pairing and so rather than so we do like a daily code challenge and so the idea with that is to really get a smaller group talking about what's the idea breaking down creating an algorithm trying to implement it um, so not everything is mobbing, but we highly encourage it. And then we provide structured activities where, Hey, for at least the next couple hours, you're going to mob. And it gives them that like, you know, little nudge that they need to see, Oh, this actually works. And it's not as uncomfortable and scary as I, as I might've thought from the outside. Right. Cause I think for a lot of folks, what I hear them say that they're a little hesitant about is they're like, Oh, well, I can't contribute. Like I just started last week. I can't code anything yet. And I think we all sort of smile at that because it's like, well, that's the point, you know, like you, you can still make suggestions as to how you think we should solve this problem, even if you don't yet have all the language skills formed to be able to articulate very technically. And so we talked at the very beginning about it's okay to like, you want to, as a navigator, speak to the driver at the level that they're at, right? And so if they're at week one, everybody else on the team kind of gets to rally and let them know, hey, it's no big deal. You're going to go to line three and you're going to start by typing the word variable or var and then the space and then the, and you just kind of walk them through and they're like oh cool like all i have to do is just sit here and type and even that's kind of hard when five or six people are staring at whatever's going on the screen but i think it does help to lower that like friction barrier that people mentally have where it's just like i can't do this yet like I'm, I'm just i don't know how to do any of this and then and you can see that for each person you're kind of giving the right amount of like help and assistance it's almost like a best analogy might be like when you're at the gym and you got a gym buddy and your gym buddy is going to know just about how much you can put on there and be there like just in case like you can't get it to get those last couple reps in right so yeah I, I think that's the most helpful aspect of it i actually love that analogy a lot um gym buddy i just came up with that by the way just all right <laughs> never used that before <laughs> yeah well it's I heard it in another context and I was churning on it. And I think you just helped crystallize it for me because that's exactly what you want to do in a mob when you're helping someone else learn, right? Is if you're like, oh, you know, let, let you know, we're going to lift this thing, right? And if you could just lift it for them all day while they watch you, that's not a great pairing or mobbing session, right? But you want to, you know, in a, uh, situate the weights and set the context just enough so that they're doing some of the lifting, but not too, you know, they're not you know, going over their fluent edge and becoming frustrated, right, too, or it's not too easy where they're not really learning. Yeah. So I really love that. And another thing that jumped out to me that was really cool you said is it's very similar to, you know, so you, you have this, um, what would you call a CC careers? It's, it's category. Is it like a code school? Is it a, uh, is it a first job? I guess maybe it's kind of both or right? yeah, it's all those things. So I don't it's get like, things, yeah. yeah, sometimes people get kind yeah. of caught up and they don't like using the word coding bootcamp. I'm fine. Call the coding bootcamp. I don't care. Yeah. Uh, but okay. as long as people get the concept and they get the idea that it is a real immersive experience, uh -huh. so yes. they're they're going to be putting their hands on the keyboard and actually coding. It's not theoretical. We're not going to be in the classroom right. books and stories about what it's like yeah. to be an engineer. <laughs> so nice. 
yeah. yeah, that's what I would consider. I would consider it an immersive software engineering program, I guess would be the most agnostic okay. way of describing it. Okay, cool. Yeah. And, and one thing you said that really jives with kind of our philosophy in uh, professional development practice, which might be in the same Venn diagram as what you're, what you're all doing, but is uh, that, you know, mobbing is not forced, right? Here's a great tool here, or, you know, here's a great tool. Here's a great mindset, you know, Hey, we're going to do some structured activities where you, you get to do it, or you might be in an environment where it's incentivized, but it's not forced, you know? So it's, it's, and I love that because uh, you want people to try it and own it when it makes sense for them, as opposed to being, this was the thing I was forced to do and I don't like it, you know? Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, so and I, and I thought, go yeah, ahead. And it's, I think a perfect point to that is also like, it's yours to modify. And so if there's, yeah. if there's some intentionality of why you're modifying it, in our case, we need to do maybe a little bit more because unlike in a, what I would imagine, because I, I haven't done a lot of my programming myself professionally because the last engineering role that I was at where I was like just the individual contributor, uh, it was at Zito. So I'll, I'll do a little name dropping. So it was at Zito and it was for uh, a CTO by the name of Matt Ferguson. And Matt introduced Bob programming right after I left. So he was 100% sold on it. And he was like, we're going to do this here. And so I got to hear the stories of the engineers as they were kind of transitioning from not mob programming to like 100% mob programming. So I'm more than happy to share like the feedback I got from that. But um, the the interesting thing that that I have, I completely lost my train of thought. But I think where, where I was going was that um, I didn't have that experience myself. And so I can't hundred percent say what it would have been like under working conditions, but I did learn very quickly how to modify uh, it to work in a classroom environment because rather than, and I imagine, but you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I would imagine that you need to at least have one person on the team that knows how to code, right? Because if you don't have at least one person on the team that knows how to code, you can have other folks, you can have product folks that can be involved and they can be at the table and they can be typing. But if you don't at least have one person, I feel like even with like Copilot, uh, <laughs> you're gonna have a hard time getting working code going, right? Yeah. So if you can imagine that said, if you have a group of students and all of the students are in their first week, there needs to at least be somebody there to kind of nudge them in the right direction and give them a little structure. So as an example, when we divide up the classroom and put everybody in mob stations, because there's different levels in the classroom, we had the, we had one of the first tools that they built together is people building tools for what they need, right? Is we built a mob programming um, group uh, tool. So it took us a couple um, days to go through the process of doing this. So one day a week for a few weeks. And then eventually we had a tool where everyone could open up their browser on their phone and put their name in. And then once they're all in, the teacher could like randomly put them into groups, but they would have to say where they are in the curriculum. They'd have to say like, I'm in week 12 or I'm in week one. And so our algorithm would then try and balance the teams so that you'd have a few ones it's their first week and you'd have a few people are towards the end of the curriculum and you'd never have a team of like all everybody's your first week because there's just the mob programming would just not work at that point right <laughs> so so that's a small way that we modify it so we're not modifying it based on like what you're trying to build but we're modifying it to level set the team mm -hmm. um but other things like other mechanics are that there's still an instructor that can kind of go around and bounce between the mobs. We try and keep the ratio of like one instructor to a couple of mobs. So shout out to another person uh, in the Zool family 
Benjamin Zool. So Ben has been an outstanding like volunteer for years and he comes in and he helps us like facilitate because again, we just want to have a good balance of uh, people that are, are practitioners and understand how it should work. So that we have at varying levels, people that can effectively lead and make sure folks aren't like completely going off the rails. They don't start fist fights yeah. and you know, all that good stuff. Absolutely. <laughs> and uh, you know, um, I, I think there's different styles of mobbing. Like if everybody's at the same level, then and and you hit a wall, right? Then you get you get a lot of like research downtime uh, because people are just trying to find a path forward. If you have a gradient of experience and there's lots of mentorship, people are asking questions and, and answering questions, and that that um, that helps everybody grow because the people who are being mentors for the first time are just learning how to communicate that way. And people who are just learning are learning from those people while they're developing their skills. And so kind of the net learning impact uh, is maybe, you know, much greater for a group of gradient experiences. And so I, I think I've, um, I definitely agree with that. Um, and then you mentioned Matt Ferguson and, and I know that at Zito, he was, uh, he was kind of, Picking and choosing uh, mob members based on skill sets, and then and then uh, and then sending them off to to mob together, and so that, that was like, his whole style was very interesting because it's very different than what I've experienced, but it was a it was a cool uh, contrast. Um, now you mentioned you had teachers, and then I also saw on the website there's like mentors as well. Um, can you can you describe the different, or are are they the same thing? Or are they different? What does mentorship look like, and that sort of thing? Yeah, it's super vital. So. So one of the things I guess you'd say that I, a principle that I thought was really important is for folks to develop professional relationships outside of the structure of like me as an instructor, because I'm just like one voice that hopefully they're listening to, but okay. Like my opinion's worth whatever it's worth to folks. Um, but I think them making connections to people in the industry is sort of vital to their ability to like hear other opinions and um, and feel like there's a sense of like they're starting to belong to a community and they will start to hopefully hear a lot of the same patterns and messaging coming from different voices, which would reinforce that like, okay, everything that I'm being told, I shouldn't just blindly trust, but it's like being echoed by more and more of these professionals. So the way that works is we are always looking for volunteers to um, help become mentors for our apprentices. The way that works is we ask them for one hour a month commitment so for that mentor, who's usually a professional software engineer or someone that's in like maybe a leadership role, but has previously been a software engineer, um, that they provide one hour of mentorship. And then we match each apprentice with three mentors that they meet with while they're with us. And then hopefully they persist those relationships after they leave. But yeah. what that means is that as a, as a student, they get three hours of professional mentorship by industry professionals it's just part of like what we provide in an environment for them. And I think it's super important because sometimes they're just not willing to, because they might think that if they ask me something that they might not be seen as the like right person. And so I'm not going to give them a certain opportunity for it. And it's like all these things that happen in their brain that we try and talk about and be like, don't, don't worry. Like, just let me know if you have questions or concerns or anything. It's just different when they have a, you know, an outside shoulder to cry on and say, this is where I'm at. This is what I'm struggling with. So, and that's kind of the, the rationale that, that we put in and it's just been successful. So because it's been successful, we just keep doing more of it. Awesome. 
Yeah, that's super cool. So I guess there's a distinction between someone who's in the program, like daily, like an instructor like yourself, I suppose, right? Mm -hmm. Versus an industry mentor that yeah. uh, is an hour or hours uh, uh, per month. Okay, gotcha. Very good. Very we good. have instructors in the classroom in their role. They're all, they've had at least a year of professional experience. Most of them have many years of professional experience. I think that's really important for instruct for new people to not be the instructors for brand new people. I see that a lot in the industry and I feel like it's a disservice in some ways to early career developers because they just aren't able to ask more nuanced questions and get feedback about what it's really like in the industry. And they should be able to count on their instructors for that. So we try and make sure that the industry professionals we have as instructors really can speak to like why you're doing these things and what you want to try and avoid in patterns. But they are more of like leading day-to-day -day instruction activities. And so they're 100% available throughout the day for folks if they get stuck and they need help which is a very different relationship than the mentors, which may have a more focused conversation with them and talk about goal setting and smart goals. And, you know, what are some of the things that are stressing you out? Like giving that somewhat, somewhat of an accountability partner to keep them like making sure that they're moving forward and realistic expectations, all of those kinds of pieces. So we try and have those different layers. We also have something we call our internal champions program. So we don't talk about this much publicly, about it, but it's not secret, so I'll share. Um, so the internal champions program is that every staff member within our organization, which may or may not include instructors that people deal with on a regular basis, has that similar mentor relationship. So the internal champions are the staff, and then the individual uh, apprentices, the word we use to describe them, are STARS. And STARS is an acronym for Skilled Through Alternative Routes. So all of the internal champions have a set of STARS that are apprentices in the organization that they check in with on a regular basis. And again, that's more of a mentor-mentee relationship, but those are like internal resources. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah. And I, I really like that uh, uh, diversity of perspective when you're learning, you know, I, and even it's not like something you ever graduate from. So uh, <laughs> at least for me, like any organization I ever found myself in, I'm always looking from like, who can give me outside advice? Like, I mean, you work with your team, right? And that's great. Yeah. And you want to get feedback from your team and you want good feedback communication channels. But I always seek to get uh, feedback from somewhere else as well. <laughs> and so I think that's a really healthy pattern you're setting up that, you know, you want to have someone, you know, either in the industry or somewhere else in a company or an organization who can give external feedback to whatever you're doing. And uh, sometimes you need it desperately, you feel the need desperately and you seek it. And then sometimes you don't feel like you need it, but you still need it. <laughs> yeah. And I've been in both of those. And uh, uh, yeah, your, your program uh, and, uh, and everything is, is really inspiring. I love the goals and the, the things and how you're doing it as well. It's, it's quite fantastic. Um, it makes me curious um, if you have any uh, results. I don't, I don't know how long you guys have been operating, but do you have any results or stories that, that come to mind for you? Uh, oh, sure. I'd be glad to hear. Oh, yeah. So I, I usually preface this by saying we got our approval from the state. We got our state like registered apprenticeship program approved the literally the day we were given the order to shelter in place due to the coronavirus. So as you can imagine, that's like not the hippest way to start anything is like, hey, by the way, everybody shelter in place. And businesses were just like, we're not hiring anybody right now. Like, we don't even know what we're going to do. Everybody's got to go home. 
So I was like, I went, I had to go back to obviously in the lead up, we were talking to the local employers and saying, we're about to do this thing. We're about to do this thing. We're about, okay, we can do this thing. Are you guys ready to do this thing? And they're just like, uh, are you crazy? <laughs> so, so we got off to a slower start than I would have liked in 2020. So that's why I prefaced it by saying like, even though we've been doing this since 2020, we are just now starting to kind of like, okay, now we're hitting our stride. Now we're mm-hmm. where I would have hoped that we would have been like two years ago, but in the past 12 months, we brought in, when I said bring in, we've hired throughout this coronavirus thing, we've hired 60 people. And of those 60, right at this day, I did the numbers this morning because I needed to share them with somebody else, but I will kind of share with you that we've had three people that have left the program out of the 60. So, and that's pretty low. Actually, it's remarkably low for an immersive coding bootcamp because a lot of people come into the experience and then quickly realize, even though they were told it's really hard, it's way harder than they had ever imagined, right? (laughs) So we've only had three just decide like, yeah, career in software engineering is just like not for me, at least not right now. And then we kind of bucket the rest of them are actually in, in in thirds each. So about a third of them have completely gone through our program, gotten a permanent offer and then are all software engineers at organizations, primarily local. A lot of the early people were local to San Diego. The minimum salary that anybody has accepted is around the kind of lowest is 60, but the average first time offer is 77. So some of them that have already been placed have already like left the place they were with and gotten a second job and are over six figures at this point, right? So those are like our high flyer super success story. So a third done already out of the ecosystem. And even though it's a registered apprenticeship program that's supposed to last a year, it is a mastery or competency based. So we're actually seeing it takes us about eight months to go from like zero to an offer has been made for a permanent role at a local company. And the local companies are big and small, right? So our biggest client is Beck and Dickinson or ServiceNow. I don't know where they are in the Fortune 500, but like they're up there, right? They're in the Fortune 500. And then um, all the way down as small as like a small, uh, shout out to Number Barn up in Escondido. So we've had Number Barn uh, hire apprentices out of the program. So it really does like span the gamut of like small startup that just wants to like see if they can do this with one person and provide a unique opportunity to like large enterprise organization that like has the capacity to bring in like dozens of people if they'd like to. So from the perspective of the second third of the folks, they are currently in the training portion. So they're still going through the curriculum, still learning the fundamentals, and maybe they've already gotten their ServiceNow CSA exam passed. And so now they're just about ready to be placed with a, with a partner or over at ServiceNow. So they're one of our clients as well. And then um, the last third are um, on the job right now. So they've already been picked up by an employer and the employer is giving them like day-to-day tasks. They're still our employee, our employee. So we're the employer of record, but they're in that on the job phase where they're reporting to an engineering team and they're working on tasks for that organization. And so about evenly across the 60 people. So the, the number that I love to champion is that we kind of have two 100%. We have 100% of the people that come into our program are getting paid from day one. So they have a job from day one. So we're 100% employment from day one. We're also 100% employment for people that complete the program. Hmm. Right. So in some cases we do double hundreds, right? <laughs> Which is not the average for like immersive coding bootcamp. Even the best programs are roughly around 85% of the people finish. And usually right around that number get jobs within six months, which is usually the standard metric that they use on the high end. So the high end is about you know 85% placement within six months. Industry norm is closer to 60% of people finish 
And of that 60% of people that finish, about 50%, maybe a little bit higher, maybe closer to 70% of the graduates get jobs within six months. So like the program, if anybody's inspired by this, the program works. And I'd love to see more people like create this opportunity either at a company, like great companies do this already. IBM has a phenomenal apprenticeship program. They've been great. Uber has a program. Um, Snap has a program. Uh, Slack has a program. Microsoft's probably one of the most famous, the, the Leap program. So if anybody's inspired by this, like create a program and like work with local employers because it really is, it, it creates an ability for you to create phenomenal opportunities for folks. I don't know if you'll be as good as us, you know, hundred <laughs> percent, but you know, it's because we use mod programming. So yeah, mod uh, uh, programming is a fantastic tool for, for accelerating uh, people learning. And this is just a lot of serendipity, I think in, in, in this style and, and uh, you know, so yeah, it, it's, it, it sounds like a great program and it, um, you know, there's, there's some good stuff happening there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, I, and I'm starting to think of some tie-ins like we don't, we don't like have an official program like this, but we are very conscious about someone entering into a team for the first time, you know, maybe straight out of school or straight out of low experience. And um, yeah. So it's funny uh, what we called is uh, I don't know if we ever talked about on the show before, but the buddy program, right? So they have uh when someone shows up, they have someone to go to for all their questions, right? yep. <laughs> you know, and uh, there's some entry meetings and some tools and things they're given with. And uh, yeah. Um, and what was funny, you were talking about the uh, leveling problem. So th that tool you created, do you guys have a name? Do you all have a name for that uh, where you put in the names and the, the level they're at? As far I can't as remember what it was called. It, oh, okay. I think it was just like a really simple name, though. It was like the Rando Group Finder. That might have been it, Rando Group Finder. And at the time, I thought uh, this was this was back in 2016, maybe. So I had acquired the domain Feel the Mern, and so we put it on there. And so it was like, okay, everybody go to like brand new people their first week and be like, go to Feel the Mern slash Rando Group Generator, and they're just like, what did you just say? Yeah. <laughs> nice, nice. Yeah. So, I mean, we haven't, so what I have seen us do is uh, there's some teams that have kind of self-organized on switching, you know, every so often, like what mob or team they're in. And so they'll, they'll do a random like group generator. Right. But it doesn't have any algorithm relied related to skills. Mm -hmm. And so what we've, <laughs> so what we've done is that when it's small enough, we'll run the random generator. And then if it ends up with like three people working on something that they've never done before, we just ask them like, are you all comfortable just going in whole hog, you know, having, you know, no, no skill in this area. And usually they say no. And then we'll be like, okay, we'll, we'll swap one person or whatever. Right. Um, and so we've, that's like the manual uh, algorithm, I suppose, uh, whenever we've done it. And the other thing too, is I've been on a mob once where all three of us were new to the domain and the tech and all that kind of thing. And so what it led to a lot of was pulling people in from other teams and departments to, to come mob with us for a little bit and then they would go back to the normal thing and so um but i could definitely see in your context you're trying to limit the chaos a certain amount right because there's already they're already learning a lot right and so yeah. i can really see you know kind of stacking the deck in favor of 
a, a team being self-contained, right? Because then, you know, then, then, you know, a mob already has a certain level of healthy chaos, right? And so sometimes you don't want to up that too much. So if you have someone in their team who's accessible, who can help guide them and answer their questions, I think that, that sounds really healthy. Um, yeah, that's, that's really cool. And, and one of the other residual mm -hmm. effects is that some of the skills that we are training are very much to your point, they're the soft skills. Hopefully by the time they are at an employer, like where your folks are, you're usually seeing folks, they already kind of understand how to like, you know, be courteous and let everybody have a chance to like express their ideas and try everything. But this really gives a good structure around this. This is like, we can, we can say hey, one of the rules that we choose to follow is that everyone has an opportunity to like have their ideas heard and like experiment. And so that to me is like, it's like, we've really figured out like, how do we turn up all the good? And like, this is a way that like, it gives us a really good structure to make sure that we're enforcing the rules that we think make sense for our organization. Bring it all the way back to the very beginning. It's gotta make sense for your organization, right? Yeah. And so sometimes we look at the, the chaos in the room and we're like, okay, time out, everybody, let's pause. Here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna give out this little stick and you only get to talk when you get the stick. Because we need to add a little, just a little bit more structure that day to get us back into a mode where like, okay, we can move forward and we don't have people talking over people. That isn't usually the first day. The first day everybody's just like not saying anything super quiet. But once you get like a lot of people that have been doing this for a while, then you start, like I said, you gotta like hold people back sometimes and be like, all right, we need to like demonstrate that we're gonna be patient with one another and <laughs> you know, all those skills. Definitely, definitely, yep. Um, so, uh, I think one bit of maybe ambiguity that might still exist is, uh, so is this just in San Diego County only, or do you have any remote component of, of it? it? Are people on site, like that sort of thing? Yeah, that's a great question. So I would love to, like, I'm not going to get all Elon Musk and be like, everybody's got to come to the <laughs> office every day, every day, but I would love for people to leverage it more if you, if for people that have never seen offices that do this we have the characteristic bunch of big screen TVs around the office and workstations for people to comfortably work together. And so it was like intentional and by design when we opened up our offices, like there's gonna be like a lot of big screen televisions everywhere. So people walk in, they're like, you guys got a lot of TVs in here. It's like, no, it's, it's work, don't worry. <laughs> um, but the shift has caused us to, because we couldn't for a while be together, shift 100% virtual and that has been challenging. I don't know what, what it's been for you to sort of like adapt, but the tooling is not caught up to what the experience is like in person. Sure, we can, there's workarounds and there's sort of like just interesting ways that people have modified mob programming to work with distributed teams, but it's not comparable yet. And I think there's still some more time for people to discover this. And because I don't think remote working is going to go away for it to get the experience, the developer experience to get better and better. But I would say today, most of the students do not come into the classroom on a regular basis. And that makes sense because it's, yeah. it's an extra commute and it's extra time. But we've still like kept with, okay, here's, here's how we'd like you to work together. So we now have like a, we use Teams because we're now a Microsoft shop because we love Microsoft because, you know, they're very helpful and supportive, right? And they're great products, don't get me wrong. Um, so we're a team shop. And because of that, we keep a team's virtual room open all day. So we have a session in the morning, session in the afternoon. Everyone's required to be in there and they don't have to have their camera on, but like there so that they're like virtually in the same space. 
and they can work together in rooms and they can collaborate across teams and we've shared a variety of other options so if they want to use like visual studio and they want to work together in visual studio sometimes that works for some folks sometimes it doesn't and so we like people to like have some flexibility in how they like implement working together and i think again mob programming by design it like encourages that idea of like i'm not going to tell you you have to use this tool or that tool like figure out what works for your team and mm -hmm. as long as you're like coming up with something that like allows you to hey maybe you need 15 minutes before you switch users and maybe in person it's like 10 minutes or seven it's like it's it's that ability to like say we're going to throw some patterns out there that we've seen work in the past you guys figure out what works for your team yeah well, um, yeah, uh, I would recommend trying AnyDesk if you haven't tried it out. Uh, it works very well for us. Yeah. <laughs> okay, cool. yeah, yeah. So yeah, we, we do Teams and AnyDesk. Um, all right, very cool. Uh, well, um, do you have anything that you wanted to plug or share uh, further uh, than, uh, before we close out the show? Yeah, I would just uh, love to have more people check out our website. It's uh, ccareers.org. There's lots of ways that you can, if you're interested in anything that I've talked about, you can apply and volunteer, or you can apply for a free apprenticeship, tons of information about the pattern. So if anybody is interested in like trying to do something like this in their local community, um, even though we got a big presence here in California, we're nationwide, we hire people all across the country right now. And so there's really a wide variety of ways that folks can interact with us, but the website's probably the best way for people to start getting information and getting in touch with us. Fantastic. All right. And then, um, yeah, so to our, uh, so thank you, Mike, for being Absolutely. here. It's really awesome. Uh, to our viewers, uh, you know, if you know somebody that could be a mentor, or if you know somebody that is thinking about changing careers, uh, I just highly recommend that you share this episode with them and, and, uh, and, and make them aware of it. And uh, be sure to like and subscribe and hit the notification bell and all that. And uh, we'll see you all next time. Thank you very much for being here, everybody.